0: Welcome to episode number 54 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. I just had a little break. I was down at Luca Josavar's Vigor Ground Fitness and Business Summit in uh, Brenton, just outside of Seattle. And I am absolutely crashed. I'm exhausted after the trip. The travel back was awful, guys. So I apologize. Uh, but in the meantime, it was hard to sneak in a podcast, but I planned one with uh, my new friend, Luke Tullock, Uh, I've been watching Luke's social media now for a while. He's been a lot of fun. So I've had him earmarked as a priority guest coming up. So Luke, it's great to have you on.
1: Mate, it's an absolute pleasure and nice to chat outside of the social media realm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's funny because social media both feels like it's not real interaction. But I think living in the world that we live in, you know, I'm, I'm 43, so I'm a slightly older generation than a lot of the younger people who grew up at social media, but it's becoming more, I don't know, real and authentic in a way. There's a lot of people I feel, you know, I've developed really good relationships with primarily through social media vehicle. And no, that doesn't replace sitting down and having dinner with a real you know person in front of you. But I think we discount the power of connection if you use social media intentionally with purpose and don't get caught scrolling and subject yourself to a lot of negative imagery that makes you feel shitty about yourself.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think I've got quite a lot of cool connections through social media, but I agree that it has to kind of be used mindfully. Otherwise, probably does more harm than good. But uh, certainly in this industry, it's pretty cool to be able to to connect to people. I mean, I don't know that we would have been able to connect given that we're on the other side of the planet and there's not a lot going on in terms of travel and all that sort of stuff right now. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. You said the word
0: mindfully and I think there's the big thing. It's like, one of the biggest problems I think in, in every aspect of our health and our lives is, you know, people aren't mindful about how they consume anything, whether that's food, alcohol is a complicated one, and certainly even media, right? Uh, and it's leaving people physically and emotionally unhealthy. Now, before I got a couple of questions for you, we might as well tell people who you are as well. So people can probably pick up on a subtle Australian accent.
1: Yep, that's that's correct.
0: But you're living in Gothenburg, Sweden,
1: that's right, yeah. So uh, I'll give you the quick rundown. Basically, I am a coach from Australia. I uh, grew up in Sydney in Australia and started coaching people in 2008. So have been around a little while. Uh, and in the meantime, while I was coaching people, I went and did some neuroscience at university, which was mainly just to learn a bit more about the human body and how to study and that kind of stuff. So I don't really use that, that stuff too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, my wife's Swedish. We met in Australia while she was traveling. And, you know, we kind of got to a point where online business and all that stuff was going pretty good, had a reasonable reputation. And so we decided, well, you know, 2019, 2020, let's go traveling. And we went traveling early 2020. And I did a seminar in Stockholm. And that weekend was when Denmark first closed its borders due to COVID. And so that was the start of everything. We kind of just thought, okay, well, we're in Sweden. We're supposed to go to the UK next. And then Portugal um, might not happen. So we ended up just staying in Sweden. And so that's how come I ended up in Sweden, but uh, really enjoying it. So we've been between the Netherlands and Sweden now uh, over the last like 18 months or so. And uh, it's been really, really good. So super enjoying it. Gothenburg's really cool. lot smaller than sydney but still about six hundred thousand people or something like that so you kind of get everything amenity wise that you need uh but it's not like crazy big so it's a really cool place actually
0: and for anybody who's familiar with it as i said off air it is the home of a lot of really legendary swedish metal bands
1: that's right yeah Uh, i'm pretty into metal actually i do play guitar and uh i have a strat for my bluesy stuff and then i have a headless Ormsby guitar that I use for the, the metal, which is cool. Uh, so it's pretty fun being here, actually. I uh, can't wait to catch a couple of gigs, but uh, I was just saying that, Andrew, it's pretty, it's pretty hipster around here as well. There's lots of like craft breweries and secondhand clothing, and it's pretty arty. So it's a fun place to be. There's always stuff going on.
0: And that beard does not fit in at all at a craft <laughs> brew house, not a chance. The funny
1: thing is, man, because I got like, for people who don't know, I, I got it like a bit of an undercut with long hair and I braid my hair as well. So with the beard and the undercut long braided hair, I kind of fit in a little bit as a Scandinavian here. So people often mistake me for Scandinavian and then I'm kind of have to go like, oh, listen, my Swedish isn't that great yet. So <laughs> yeah, it's good times.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't have been surprised at all because I was always figuring out kind of your, your story. I was like, oh, what's going got Oh, Sweden, but not Swedish. All right, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. So, all right. What I want to get to with you now is, uh, I think one of the reasons why you initially caught my attention is really polished social media. You actually have, uh, you know, you have a lot of really cool graphics. There's quality in the presentation in addition to just a really nice like quality information on top of a really nice presentation. And that tends to stand out. So, uh, how did you develop your approach to writing and content creation?
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Um, something that I've paid a lot more attention to in the last like maybe a year or so and still trying to develop that a little bit because I find it pretty enjoyable, actually. It's something really satisfying about trying to design that stuff and, and trying to get across a complex idea in a simple way, which you have to do on, on Instagram. Um, I originally started on Instagram. I actually challenged myself to speak a little bit more publicly into a camera and so my original idea was I'm going to make a video every single day and I'm going to put that up on Instagram so I literally just talked like stream of consciousness into the camera so it was like I mean to make that kind of content these days would be incredibly boring and I don't think I got that many views but it really helped me get comfortable in front of a camera and trying to get ideas across and like how can I explain something in under a minute so that's how i got started and then i kind of moved on to this like infographic style thing right And it was just a single page i wasn't in the carousels or anything then uh, but that was pretty popular um, and from there i kind of figured out that actually the more i cut away the more i subtract from these graphics uh, the, the more popular they are the more engagement i get and so a lot of what i try and do now is to try and get as much information across as possible. But I have a mindset of subtraction as opposed to addition, which is a really interesting concept that I actually try and apply to all areas of my life really. I think we we tend to try and, when we're trying to achieve something, we try and add more and more and more. And often I think the solution can sometimes be to actually remove stuff and see what you don't, you know, you're not trying to lose anything, but you're trying to cut away deadwood. So that's kind of the attitude I go into now with uh, and, Certainly, something that is a massive challenge, but it's pretty satisfying when you get you know you get it just right. Let's
0: dive deeper into that because this is something I've never, I think, specifically just talked about on on air. But I've had this conversation with a lot of coaches. Um, one of the reasons why my social media has grown aggressively, I think, a there's a an undercurrent of a lot of things like uh, the podcast, uh, the publications I've written for, um, all that sort of stuff, and the relationships I have in the industry, but you and I both post what I would consider to be the highly shareable stuff. If it's getting in mm-hmm. front of more people's eyes and more people coming in to follow us. And I use the classic Twitter graphic, right? And every once while someone will kind of complain about it, but guess what, you do it well. It is an incredibly uh, high reach uh, vehicle. And I see people trying to do twists on it, like something that looks very, very similar. And sometimes they look great, but sometimes I find that they just miss the mark. And first of all, I believe that the Twitter graphic is such a, it's like the infographic before it. It's an approved vehicle for someone to share. They see it and go, okay, cool. I can share that. Like that's, that's an approved format. And so they hit the share button very aggressively on it. Whereas something that looks similar, but it's not quite right. They kind of pause a little bit and go, hmm, am I, you know, is this, is this a format that's okay? And then I see people who even use the Twitter style, but it's busy it is busy with emojis and extra icons all over the bottom. Hey, uh, you know, the, indica- the, the thing that says share this or save this or blah, blah, blah. It's like, if it's good information, people should intuitively want to share it and save it. So the busier your graphics are, and if your image or other like things in the background are competing with your message, well, then it's taking away from the actual message, which is what you want people to grab onto and share. And if there's too much text, have you ever seen someone who's done shared a big paragraph of Facebook screenshot text? One of the beauties of the Twitter uh, thing is there's a limit to the characters. So there's only so much stuff you can actually put in there. So it trains you to condense down your ideas, get rid of superfluous words and language, and cut to the meaning and the essence of what you're trying to share. And I found over the last year and a half that I've been doing this regularly, that you refine your process as you go, but this is a really shareable format and it just brings droves of new followers your way.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree. I actually go into, to that with a, an idea of like, I'm trying to kill words here. I'm trying to get rid of words. I'm trying to cut down syllables. And so, whereas I used to post something like hypertrophy, I know just write Like growth, muscle growth, right? Like it gets the, it gets the idea across and you'd be amazed how attached you get to a certain phrasing, a certain tone of phrase, a certain word that you really like using and you think, oh, this feels great the way I've written it. But if you really go in there and you're ruthless and you kind of cut things out, it's incredible how much it does clarify your message and how much more it resonates with people as a result. And for me, I guess it was a case of trying to cut out what I liked and my ego and go actually for the audience that I'm trying to deliver an idea to, what's going to ring true for them. And that's a really difficult thing to do. But you can train it, you can get better at it, you can practice, you can put things out there. And I, I challenge you, if you're someone who's listening to this, and maybe wants to give this a go, try it and see what happens with the engagement, man. Like, seriously, the, the simpler I made things, it was incredible how much more engagement I got out of it. So that for me was the big lesson, like, hey, this this stuff actually works from a practical perspective.
0: Well, someone's been reading books on writing, because this is a concept that <laughs> any good book on writing. Uh, usually, encapsulated by the phrase murder your darlings which i cannot remember who that quote is attributed to but it's an, an old quote essentially meaning you know what you said like cut out the uh, you know things that are unnecessary but even if you love what you've written you've got flowery complex language it's okay like, hey, this this sounds really pompous and, and great you probably don't need it in there you cut it down to the essence of the message you're trying to craft and I think one of the best things anyone can do is even for social media content, because social media content is going to be a microcosm for longer form content, uh, article writing, especially, or, or captions on YouTube videos, whatever you want, read some books on writing. I always tell people start with On Writing Well by uh, William Zinzer is a really good one. The best book I've ever seen on really crisp writing is a book called Write Tight by an author, I believe, William Broha, and his last name is Broha, and How to Write Short. By Roy Peter Clark, ironically a longer book, but it does go into a lot of the concepts about writing, um, you know, short captioned uh, things for various purposes. So yeah,
1: that's beautiful. I um I have a book by Stephen Pinker, which is along the same same lines. The sense of and, style. Uh, Sense of Style. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. It's really nice. And I think one of the the key factors that really grabbed me with that is that the guy is an academic and writes academic papers in the field of psychology and linguistics. And uh, a lot of his message is about like, hey, just because this is a technical topic doesn't mean that the language has to be impenetrably dense and technical- purely because, Hey, we're writing a research paper now, like you can make it in plain language and it actually gets your ideas across so much better. So that really rang true with me as well. Yeah.
0: If anybody reads any Renaissance periodization stuff, they do a really good job of getting a lot of the research-based technical stuff into a layman's language. That's pretty accessible. So, um, that's a really good exercise actually just go read that stuff but either way go read some books on writing I if anybody's really interested just shoot me a message I can give you 10 really good books but just start with on writing well and work your way out from there now do you ever feel like you almost like answered this question earlier but I was gonna ask if you ever feel tired of the endless hamster wheel of content creation uh, you know is this a phase that you eventually want to step away from and evolve your career into a different direction? Um, certainly, Is there an end game or a future vision for what your career is gonna have in store for you
1: it's an interesting question mate um i'm not sure i I quite enjoy the content creation i have to say uh so for right now i think finding new ways of delivering ideas and honestly a lot of social media i think people get a little bit starved for content like what, what can i make content on or whatever but Really, I actually think having somewhat of a consistent message and just finding different ways of almost saying the same thing and delivering the same message is is actually key if you're a if you're a coach or anybody else who's like trying to sell services or a product or get an idea across. So there's always a sort of challenge for me there and exploring all the corners of that. And like I say, there's something really satisfying about having, a piece of content come together nicely and then seeing the response to it it's really satisfying to me but I don't know about you know career wise or anything like that if anything would be different I have to say that uh, something that I'm really interested in is uh, evolving myself as a person and that means to me not only having these career skills or developing my, my physicality through training or whatever it is, but exploring different aspects of myself, whether it's reading great literature, learning a language, learning a musical instrument, learning about, you know, I want to be able to, to hold a conversation on politics or economics or whatever. So there's always something outside of that for me to pursue. And, um, I guess that's a really big driver for me. I think I've worked quite a lot on trying to understand what my priorities in life are, and for me, that doesn't mean building a, you know, multi-million-dollar coaching empire or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty content with with where things are, and so for me, you know, it's not really about sort of trying to. um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not particularly money driven, but it's more about trying to evolve myself as a person. And that might mean learning different skills. And so that may drive me into a different product that I might deliver or a different way of coaching or a different way of delivering content or something like that. But uh, I'm more doing that as possibly a result of like, hey, I decided I really wanted to improve my writing and I got better at copywriting or I wanted to get better at marketing or sales or all these different aspects. And so that may mean that the way I deliver things, the way I do things evolves over time. But I don't think I have an actual, hey, in five years time, I want this, want the business to be like this, or I want to be doing content this way or anything like that. It's it's probably a little bit more organic in the way it, invo- it evolves in that sense.
0: And this probably leads to almost, for lack of a better term, cross-pollination of ideas. We can often just become immersed in the fitness industry, all things fitness and nutrition. It's not a lot of original things there. Every once in a while, there's you know some research that clears up or clarifies a position on something, you know, training volumes, a common one, but most of the fundamental ideas are fairly intact. And I like and agree with what you said. I had the same sentiment in a presentation I did recently, is repurpose the same idea, find new ways to share it, you know. There are going to be new eyes on your stuff all the time. Social media algorithms do not show every post to every person. And there's going to be a point where you know, six months ago, someone who's been following you is not in a place where that particular message mattered. And I said this in my presentation, my favorite response is I needed this today. Hmm. I bet you get it all the time because I get it all the time. And that tells me, okay, cool. I'm glad that I post this because I can't count the number of times where Mike do I really want to post this? Is this any good? That's mm, okay. I don't have anything else. I posted it up and turns out it's a home run. It really, really went off. People loved it. People shared it. And that's a cool feeling. Now it's also okay. And you have to train yourself when something you think is really great, just kind of fizzles and yep. you go back and you look and go, nah, actually I kind of see why this one just didn't get shared, but you have to share and create without the expectation of an, you know, a result or a specific outcome with each individual piece. The goal and the hope is with consistency, you're going to get a really good response on the aggregate. But uh, yeah, you know, I think a lot of coaches get held up on the fact that, well, I have nothing original to say. Like the people who are doing the best job of this stuff. And I always use Sohee Lee. I always use Jordan Sight. I use Spencer Dodolsky as examples. They've got huge followings. Go and look at their stuff and see, well, Oh, I knew that. Oh, I could have said that. You, most of you guys could have written most of the things that they've said. They're very, very talented at the way that they format and they say it. And they certainly developed a platform and an authority to you know, have it resonate. But there's no reason why you can't as well. And even if you share a, your own wording of a familiar and time-tested concept, that's not plagiarism, right? You're not infringing on anyone's copyright. No one owns you know, calories in, calories out. Which is oversimplified, but you know, you get the idea. So, find a way to make that message something that helps the person who needs it today.
1: Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. And I think that, you know, I, I lend this mindset really early on that everybody can teach you something. And if that's true, then it means that you can teach everybody else something as well. Right. Which means that, yes, you may be rehashing calories in calories out or something, but there's going to be someone out there who just somehow vibes with the way that you've delivered it or your personality or your unique take on it, or, experience with it and that's pretty powerful so yeah I agree I mean you don't need to reinvent the wheel uh, you know it's one of these things where I think sometimes we get a little bit caught up with having to be a, a pioneer with something when ultimately what you, what we don't realize is that a lot of the sort of big ideas that come out of any field is really just an iteration of an iteration of an iteration that's slowly evolved over time and so you can be part of that process by simply having your take on something that's already been pretty well discussed
0: I just thought of this, again, I was at a conference this past weekend, and there were three presentations all on brand and social media, and there was a tremendous amount of overlap in terms of concepts and ideas to my presentation that I had made uh, six weeks prior, and none of the presenters there were, were in attendance for mine, and it's not like I own these original ideas. It's just my format of it, and each of these presentations had their own way of saying a lot of the same concepts and a lot of different stuff as well. And, but there are three presentations that had a lot of overlap in the same event and they were all fantastic. And the cumulative effect of all those presentations, my hope is that it really sunk in with a lot of the people in attendance and they implement this stuff. Uh, You know, some of the tactics were very, very similar, just the individual stories were different. So again, like do not be afraid to put information out there that you feel very confident and if you're a coach who's been doing this for nine months like like you're worried like oh i i haven't been doing this long enough i don't know enough to share like when there's no cutoff, right like have you helped clients for nine months has someone lost some weight with you has someone found the gym and found a love for it you've kept them safe and they've 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 made some progress and they've changed your lifestyle well it proves you actually know what you're doing maybe you don't yet feel comfortable stepping into complex rehabilitation stuff or, you know, dieting people for a bodybuilding competition. Well, we know low hanging fruit. People like to gripe about that, but there's a lot of coaches that do or people that do their one show. Then they're all of a sudden their coach set that aside, or maybe you don't yet feel confident in, you know, periodizing uh, a peak for a powerlifting meet. Okay, cool. You don't have to worry about that complex stuff. Shit. I still don't do that stuff. That's not my wheelhouse, but you have had conversations with clients that have helped them, that should be the starting point point, the inspiration for you to share more things. And let's say you start a, a YouTube video like you did. Um, th- that's actually kind of how I got started with this podcast too, is I was just doing some YouTube stuff talking at the, at the screen and a few people watched it, but a buddy of mine liked it. So he's like, Hey, let's go do a podcast. Cool. It flipped a podcast. I kind of put the YouTube away and four years later, we're here.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's just about getting ideas out there and uh, your experience. You know, I think your experience is is always important because it's funny how many people might be in a similar position to you, and not only that, but they don't necessarily want to have like the numbers on on paper or the research studies or whatever. They they want to have some personality or or something real and tangible that they can relate to. So. You know, if you're a coach out there who can say, listen, man, I, you know, maybe I was overweight and I started doing this and I got in shape and I fell in love in f- with fitness. People can see themselves in that and they can be inspired by that. And that's ultimately a lot more powerful than going, you need to eat 1.5 grams of protein, you know, like it, it's just so much more real uh, for that person. And so putting your own experience out there and putting ideas out there is super important, I think.
0: let's tap into some of your ideas. One of the ones that I pulled off recently from your social media was a meme about sticking with effective exercise. I'm reading this off because I don't want to fuck it up, Uh, versus using a lot of new ones in each training phase. And uh, I believe a lot of experienced coaches and lifters, they kind of get this one, but we know it's still common on social media. We see a lot of both the end user wanting variety in programs and a lot of coaches perpetuating variety. So let's just elaborate on this. I'll let you kind of take that when I run with it.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you're right in, there's a balance here, right? Like we want to be able to stick with something for long enough to actually make some progress with it. There's going to be some exercises that are just, like I said, and I think I said in that post, there's some exercises that are just like an A plus. They're just like, well, oh, chef's kiss. That just, you know, that just nails your hamstrings. It's going to be hard to beat something like an, an RDL for, you know, really training hip extension or something like that, right? Um, and so, coming up with a bunch of different weird, nuanced variations is probably not going to be in your favor if your ultimate goal is to develop that movement or those muscle groups. At the same time, we also have to balance that with novelty, with excitement, with uh, zest for training. And so, as a coach, that's something that you have to consider as well. So. Um, something that I see a lot of is certainly someone goes and hires a coach and they go, Oh, cool. This person's got so much experience and knowledge, and they're going to be able to come up with some cool variation or special cue or magic, like meal timing thing or whatever it is. That's going to take me to the next level. And the funny thing, it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier when I said subtraction is actually what I go for. If anything, in my experience as a coach, What I'm really trying to do is find something that is the most effective with the least amount of intervention. You know, if I can create a really low friction environment and get you really great results without really having to do that much, to me, that's kind of the ultimate goal Um, because it firstly makes it more sustainable. It means we have to do less stuff to get you there. And it means that it's going to build your self-efficacy because you don't need all the bells and whistles and tips and tricks to be able to get a good result. You can kind of figure out like, hey, this is the stuff that works. And if I just nail this stuff, I get great results. So I guess my mindset with it is kind of like, as a coach, you often feel the pressure to give something new to create something that's almost going to be viral or something that's going to be, you know, this magic thing that's gonna attract clients to you and sometimes you do get a little bit rewarded by that just with like the number of likes or comments you get on something or, you know, someone goes, oh, I've never tried this type of exercise before or something like that. But you also have to bear in mind that fundamentally there is some stuff that is just more effective than other things. And if you can kind of string together enough consistency with the most effective exercises or principles, Then that's really where you get the magic results. And for me, if you can get great results with minimal intervention, then that's kind of like the the golden zone that you want to be in. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's certainly a balance. But uh, for me, it's kind of like I, I got well over the sort of tiny weird variations of how many different bicep curls can you do when really it's just like, man, just get in and do a decent curl and get stronger with it. Make some progress, you know, so... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. And it, you know, I think it becomes more comfortable as you build a reputation as a coach and as you get more experienced and more confident in yourself. You can start to go to a client like, "Hey man, like I know we've done Romanian deadlifts for three phases in a row now, but I'm telling you, like they're effective, they're working. Let's stick with it. There's no reason for me to program something weird here for you. Let's do it." So, that's where I'm at with it.
0: And let's let's take down a couple of the reasons why we see this this variety out there. So one of the main ones is, as you alluded to, you've got people on social media who feel like they need to be creative. They need that to drive their social media following. And honestly, there are some people who do a really good job of taking practical and innovative concepts. Uh, Lee Boyce is a good friend of mine. He does a wonderful mm. job with it. Gareth Sapstead, the Fitness Maverick. He's really great at this stuff. Uh, there are some people who get into more of either a strength and conditioning world or especially almost like physio rehab type world. Sam Spinelli, he's, he's going to have a very broad library of this stuff. I'm working on an article with uh, Tim DeFrancesco. So he's a doctor of physical therapy and the former strength coach of the LA Lakers. And we're going to have some stuff in that, that just pulls from his physical therapy realm. That's going to be, people are going to be like, Whoa, I've never seen this before. But if you break it down into its fundamental movement, it's a familiar movement just presented in a unique way. I don't like the circus frou-frou stuff, but most programs are still fundamentally going to be built around all the basics just because you're seeing novelty on social media. I mean, some of the people are just peddling novelty, And, and these kind of fall more into the influencer category. But some people are, there's a practicality and there's a reason for the novelty, and it's meant to be used surgically, not as, well, we're going to do this new thing this week. From a client standpoint, there are clients who think that they want novelty or they crave novelty. Uh, they, they get bored with their workouts. Now, I think that's on the coach to do two things. One is to show the client the value of consistency in doing the fundamentals very well. And then two, presenting the fundamentals in slightly novel ways that still gets the fundamental training effect, but keeps the client interested. Because at the end of the day, we do want to serve our clientele. So if the client really likes variety, okay, cool. Well, you know, maybe I don't do seated cable rows for four, you know, pull workouts in a row. Maybe they get seated cable rows and maybe they get dumbbell rows and maybe they get a TRX inverted row. And, you know, as long as the movement is fundamentally very, very similar, I can rotate through things and you're okay. Um, more on that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And it is a case of, of buy-in being extremely important uh, for one thing. And and another thing I also think is sometimes that people are very constrained with movement in that, uh, that they feel like there's a certain exercise they have to do or a certain way they have to do things or they won't get any results at all. So that's a little bit separate to what I'm talking about, right? If someone thinks that they absolutely have to do barbell back squats to grow big legs, like I got news for you, you don't, you know? <laughs> um so th- there's a bit of a difference there, but I, I definitely think that uh, there's there's an, a situation where you might get someone who's trying to add a bunch of bells and whistles um, to an already effective exercise purely for the point of novelty or, or, you know, as we said, trying to gain some eyeballs or something like that. And, um there are some minor tweaks that you can make. You can be quite creative as a coach without having to like swap exercises every workout or something like that. There's there's a million different things you can do in terms of tempo and rest periods and exercise order and that sort of stuff without having to fiddle with fundamentally what you're doing uh, with the exercise. So, you know, I do think that like buy-in and and novelty is quite important for, for clients, but it might be a case of like being quite strategic with it. As you said, being surgical. I always, whenever I look at anything, I like to kind of, from a programming perspective, I like to zoom out and kind of go like, hey, what am I trying to achieve here? Like, what is the overarching goal of this workout, of this workout within this training phase? And am I hitting that by programming what I'm programming? And again, if we go back to that subtractive mindset, if I go, well, I'm doing, you know, this exercise, plus I'm adding a band to it and a this and a that, Can I get the same result that I'm really aiming for with this workout by removing that stuff? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I should be doing that instead, you know? Um, So that's kind of where I come to it uh, with with that kind of mindset for sure. Everything should be there for a reason, should be able to explain it. Now, sometimes the reason might literally be that like my client says to me, listen, man, my absolute favorite exercise in the world is trap bar deadlifts. I freaking love them. Cool, man. Well, maybe I'm just going to program it purely because the client enjoys it. That's fine. Uh, But there should still be the reason for it there, right? It shouldn't just be like, well, I'm going to throw them in because we haven't done them before.
0: Exactly. One of the most important things we're dealing with is client adherence. A lot of coaches get caught up in optimization when I think one of the biggest battles is just getting people into the gym in the first place and keeping them there because they're intimidated by the gym environment. They are scared of exercise they don't enjoy exercise as a coach one of the first things you could be doing with anybody who falls under a general population umbrella is to make sure they're really enjoying the process and their workouts so that they keep coming back no one's consistent if they don't come back to the gym once you get them body and over the long run they really like you they like the experience they like exercise they feel safe in a gym you can then start to tinker with optimization uh, for things that will probably drive their goals a little bit faster a little bit forward but that stuff's pretty useless if you're not actually getting them to stay in the gym. I think another really important thing for coaches to recognize about why we still see a lot of variety out there is coaches themselves feel pressure to change things so that way their clients feel like there's value in the coaching experience. And I think this is misguided because I think there's a lot of other ways that you can create value. I remember being a, a newer coach and kind of always wondering like, how, why are these clients who know what they're doing, they're consistent, continuing to train with me? And they, pe- we take for granted clients find value in the experience of training with us. And, and a lot of this probably applies more to in-person than online, but a lot of the coaches listening, I think, still do in-person work. P- someone's going to find value in your, in your experience that might be different than your idea of what they should be getting from it, which is why you got to be really careful about you know, not making your goals for them supersede their goals. I have a lot of clients who are very, very functionally independent, but they like the accountability, right? That's a big key for them. I work with a number of you know, people who have very busy careers, professionals, uh, you know, a cardiologist is one example, a couple of retirees who they know what they're doing, but they want to be able to shut their brains off. They don't want to make these decisions. Their, their lives are so busy. They want to have an appointment. They have to show up to And in a lot of cases, they really just like hanging out with you for that hour. They've enjoyed spending the time with you. And that's what's going to keep them coming back. And you look back and you go, well, shit, you've been going for seven years. You spent a lot of money on this, but they think of it as an investment. They're healthier. It kept them on track. It's a net win. And I think early on, a lot of coaches have to get past this sense of guilt that they're taking someone's money, especially when you add up that number over the long run, because it can make coaches uncomfortable. I tipped past a point where I realized, no, this is vastly improving people's lives and doing something that you know money almost can't buy. You know, it's priceless to see what's happened to their long-term health. So I think shifting that mindset. And here's another thing we see a lot. Some coaches have done a very good job of scaling their online coaching offering into a larger group platform. Now, I think some people have done a really good job of it, but other people do it as kind of a, a low price point entry. And it's very common to see in those lower price point group training vehicles, changing up the programming on a monthly basis. Um, and I think it is again, just to try to create the sense that there's more value in the experience, where there is it's very difficult to individualize these programs for a large group. So just recognize that for being what it is. And I think, Again, if the fundamental programming is sound, and there's one example, I won't name a name that I know of, I think that the programming is fundamentally exceptionally sound is just uses variety every month, changing in, I think, effective basics. So great. But if it keeps a large group of people on track who feel like they're getting a lot of value out of it, okay, awesome, right? That, that, that is helping people. I think just when it gets really carried away into a lot of frou creativity for the sake of creativity, we're not doing what's best for our clients.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had that experience as well. I, I have one client that I'm thinking of in particular, who just loved turning up and talking about rugby with me. And we would chat about footy and he could just switch off and I'd be like, Hey man, time to go for another set. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Do we set? And then, <laughs> then we'd chat a bit more about footy and man, it was a great time. Like we, we just had an awesome time um and that was so valuable to him and I I agree with you it's like you can get this thing as a coach where you feel a bit guilty for like man I'm charging this guy a lot of money and all we do is talk about footy which I'm kind of enjoying as well so it's like fun for me and I'm getting paid for it um but really it's not really up for us to decide whether that's valuable to them or not it's their money that they can spend uh so I I mean I totally agree with you on on that point and it is something where you know that that sort of experience and, and something that way when you have a connection with someone that's is something that's that's priceless priceless it's difficult to find there might be freaking you know a hundred other coaches that could basically program just as well as i can like that's fine that might even be a lot cheaper than me but i have clients who have been with me for many years in a row now because we have a good relationship they enjoy it they get a lot of value out of it and that's great i mean it works
0: so a lot of what I just went into probably applies a little bit more to in-person coaching. Could you share some of how you create that same effect, that connection, that uh, relationship with online clients?
1: Yeah, man. Actually, this is a topic that I think about a lot because as a coach online, especially, I'm not cheap, right? Um, And I really struggle with like, okay, I want to provide value for what I'm charging, um, but at, at the same time, there's this big part of me that really wants to promote self-efficacy. I really don't want a client to feel like they can't make an exercise substitution or make a decision about their nutrition without like first checking with me or something. I want them to be able to feel confident enough that they can do something and it would be a reasonable result and maybe even exactly what I would have done in that situation. So there's this balance to be found where you want to obviously have some rapport, you want to have points of contact, you want to be able to support someone, but you also don't want to um, sort of secretly undermine them by having too much of that stuff. So it's a real challenge to kind of be like, hey, I am charging a premium. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get more out of the coaching by having me kind of like message you every single day or something like that. So one of the ways that I do that is try to make that clear to the client. Uh, but there's a few little bits and pieces that can make the coaching feel a bit more personal and a bit more like an input having an in-person coach. And one of the things that I really discovered was pretty good, which both helped me with my efficiency of doing work, like check-ins and that sort of stuff, and also provided a bit more of a personal touch point is using stuff like uh, Loom videos and screen recordings and stuff like that. So uh, I'll explain a little bit how my check-in process works. Um, so I only coach people online at the moment, and I, I send out an email at the start of the week with some check-in questions. And it asks not only about their training and nutrition, but like what other stuff happened in their life? Um, what were some highlights for you that were like non-training things and, and general lifestyle things? Uh, so things like that firstly starts to help. When I get their responses back, I don't type a response to them or anything like that. I actually make a little video. They can see my face. They can hear my voice. I can give them a nice tone. I can chat even a little bit about myself as well. I can, you know, crack a joke and and give that sort of stuff. And I think the feeling of it being much more personal that way is really important to them. So fundamentally, I'm not really doing anything different than anybody else is doing from a check-in standpoint, but the format makes a really, really big difference. And coincidentally, it's actually a lot more time efficient for me as well. Um, So I think that that's something that's that's quite important is being able to have those touch points there. Uh, Now, what that means is that they actually feel a lot more comfortable because it's not just it's not just like a typed response that a form that they're like just filling in and getting back another like bunch of text. They start to feel more comfortable in sharing some of those more personal things. You know, I have one client whose husband, for example, is very sick and is probably close to passing away. And we've had some really intimate conversations around that, which I, I, I really don't think she would have felt comfortable sharing that stuff and being able to have a conversation with me. Unless she could see who she was talking to, she could hear the you know the tone of my voice and the like the care that I'm trying to give her and that sort of stuff. So I think that's quite an interesting dynamic, and it, it means that um, I think something that maybe some coaches are thinking about and maybe a bit worried about is kind of like, hey man, there's. The, my clients could buy a ton of programs somewhere else. They can buy an app that tells them how to adjust their macros and that sort of stuff. But what you can't buy is that human interaction and and that sort of thing. So as an online coach, that's what I'm trying to provide. And that's one way that I do it. And like I said earlier, the challenge for me then is how do I provide that without it being like, yeah, I got to do that every single day with them or get on the phone with them or have like an hour long weekly call with every single client that I have or something like that. So yeah. Relationship coaching. Yeah, exactly.
0: Relationship coaching. Um, I do some similar things and I love the idea of video, but I tend to send a lot of audio messages. So anybody who's not everybody yet, but anybody who's interacted with me on Instagram, I'll often send a voice reply and I can't catch every new follower. Like it's way too hard now, but I do try to, you know, send a few of those out. I get a spare minute. I'm like, Oh, you know, cool. this is a coach you Tell they're new. I'll send them a voice message and say, listen, I really appreciate that you're here following. Um, you know, Hey, there's so much out there that you could be spending your time on. So, you know, it means a lot. And in, especially for the new coaches, if you ever have questions, just, you know, hit me up. And an authentic voice message that says their name, is a lot better than a text you know hey thanks for following and i think i got this stuff from my buddy pj street who is a big online coach he does a ton of that stuff and he uses a lot of voice messaging with his his online clients and we had an old podcast episode if anybody wants to go back into it and it's about making his philosophy is making online training more personal and personal training so leverage this like what you just described sounds amazing and you know, I'll add a point to the fact that you've alluded to twice that you know you charge a lot for your coaching. It's simple, but if someone's paying more for your coaching, in a way, they're you're doing them a slight favor because they're probably going to be more invested in the experience. One of the challenges I think a lot of coaches encounter when they're just starting out and they're offering free training, if someone doesn't have skin in the game, they're not as invested in it, so it can interfere with their results, and there's also nothing wrong with setting your prices higher and using it as a filter to find the right type of person for you. Um, I think it's been said a lot, but I'll, I'll continue to say it. If you've got someone who is shopping based on price, certainly in my experience in person, anybody who's, who's trying to haggle over price or you've had for a while and they're like trying to you know get discounted prices, they're on average of the type of people who are, are more time demanding, more emotionally demanding, more draining. And I try to be charitable in my interpretations with every person I work with, you know, uh, but there have been a small handful of clients that I've had in the past who I realize that, you know, you're chasing this person and putting a lot of emotional energy into trying to satisfy this person to keep them in your schedule. And they don't respect your time. They don't respect their own time and they know your cancellation policy, but, you know, let's say that they have not planned well and they've double booked you know, an appointment that they knew about for a week, but two hours out, they're like, Hey, you know, I can't make it. And, you know, one of my slash favorite slash least favorite things is where you can charge me if you want. And I usually politely let clients know that not to phrase it that way, because what they're doing is they're kind of hoping they're, they're making you the bad guy. If you choose to charge, then you're the villain. So you feel guilty about doing it. And I know a lot of coaches listening and be like, yeah, I have clients who say that and just politely let them know. It's like, Hey, you know, this is my cancellation policy, you know, and however you have to let them know, please not to use that language because it is a little bit of a guilt trip and the clients know what they're doing. So stomp that stuff out. And if you start letting it go, that's the standard you've set with that client and they will not respect your time. They know that the, the appointment is optional and, some of the language I use when I'm establishing my cancellation policy, it's like, I am doing this to hold you accountable and to respect my time. My time is valuable. I want to, your time is valuable. I really want to be here to make sure you're getting great results, but I've also got to hold you to it. So, you know, that's, that's my cancellation policy. And if you're firm and upfront about it, most people are going to be fine. Ultimately, if someone does become a really stressful person about your cancellation policy, you're going to notice that there's other stressful shit that they're they're doing with you and for the better of your own business you may be better off politely and professionally letting that person go right sometimes it's just not we're not trying to fight to renew them and sometimes it's literally saying okay you know what i'm i'm going to i don't think this is a really good fit i'm going to help you try to find another coach if they're upset okay so be it but you've got to start taking care of yourself and your own emotional well-being. Um, the book, I always tell people, read the book, Book Yourself Solid, Michael Port. Fantastic exploration of this concept.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, firstly, you made the point about charging enough so that there's, there's value in what you're doing, which I think is pretty big. And that's one of the reasons why I do charge what I do so that people actually do value it. They, they, it brings people to the table that are invested uh, skin in the game, of course, like you said. Um, and then you made another point about just kind of setting standards, which I think is, is pretty important as well. You know, if you set a standard or um, you, you essentially teach your client how this relationship is going to work by what you let fly and, and what you don't let fly. And it's really important to establish that early on because I've, I've had multiple instances of like people turning late to sessions or not paying me on time or not filling in their workouts or whatever it is. And that is definitely something that you need to set the tone for from the start, which is pretty important. Now, I think it sometimes gets to this like deeper thing, which I've seen quite a lot with trainers. I'd be interested to see if you've seen this as well, um, where people almost feel a bit guilty about making money and charging in this, in this profession, because we're supposed to be helping people and I kind of feel a bit bad about this or whatever. And I'm here to tell you that making money is not a bad thing. Like you can still have great intentions and you can still charge a lot of money and you can still be very wealthy off the back of that. Those things are not incongruent. You can definitely do that. Uh, So it's an interesting weird psychology thing in in our industry where a lot of people are kind of afraid to charge money and to to put themselves out there. And like… I'll say right now, like, I wouldn't be on Instagram as much as I am if I didn't need it to make money for my business. Like, simple as that. Like, I'm not afraid to say that. Everybody kind of knows that I'm selling coaching services. I don't shove it in their face, though. I give them heaps of value. Uh, But that's the reality of it. And you don't need to be afraid of that. You can still help people a ton while putting your hand out sometimes occasionally to make some money, right?
0: There's nothing dishonorable about making money, right? And we all have to think. There is no pension plan in our industry. And I mean, obviously, there different countries have different sort of social security things. Sweden is legendary for having a really good one. But at the end of the day, if you have charitable and honorable intentions of making, want to make the world a better place, one is do a great job improving the lives of the people in front of you. And then two, and this, I'll, I'll just touch on this and move way off it. There, there's definitely a climate in the community of people who like to say a lot of things very loudly and very very virtuous on social media, and then go and give themselves a pat on the back. You'll do a lot more if you have the financial resources and the influence with a larger body of people to be able to allocate financial resources to charitable causes that you care about, uh, allocate time to do these sort of things, because posting about something on social media is some of the most hollow, useless nonsense. I think the best use of our social media time, and I'm very deliberate in not going anywhere near political or social issues, because I just want to make the person's life better uh, with their own personal physical health, their mental health, all the stuff that is directly within the scope of fitness and nutrition. And that tends to improve a lot. And that can cascade through a larger number of people. And it's a little way to make the world a slightly better place. And if it inspires a, a lot of coaches to do the same sort of thing, that cascades even further. This has been an amazing conversation, Luke. I appreciate you uh, coming on and having uh, the time to talk.
1: Yeah, it's been great, man. Really, really cool to be able to actually talk to you as opposed to voice messages on social media.
0: Well, I'll be, I'll be bringing you back in the future. Um, please let everybody know where to find you. We've talked about your Instagram.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's underscore Luke Tulloch, T-U-L-L-O-C-H is my last name. Uh, Pretty much everything's there. I've got a little website if you want to look at coaching services or anything like that. And that's just my name, luketulloch.com.
0: Right. Now you have a podcast, but it has been updated since about July. So have have you kind of shelved it or is that something you're bringing back
1: Now, something that I'm going to be doing a little bit more of, it's, uh, I actually, I don't know if you can hear it too much in this room, if it's been echoey or not, I don't think it has been because I've got this dynamic mic, which is great, but uh, we moved houses in Sweden and the office, like we had literally no furniture and uh, man, it was just so echoey and my previous microphone, I was like, man, I can't be putting stuff out on this, so (laughs) I think we're sorted now, so there will be some more content coming out on that for sure.
0: And I'll tell people get into Luke's stories because when he does Q and A's, they're very entertaining, very informative. So dive in. Uh, Guys, thanks for tuning in again. I appreciate it. If you have not yet followed me on social media, I want to connect with you at Andrew codes fitness Um, all roads to everything else that I do. All my articles are on there. And you know, if you'd be kind enough to take the time to give a review on iTunes or, or whatever platform you're listening on, that's always appreciated. If you are brand new to my podcast because you found me through Luke's social media, um, again, if you take a scroll through my previous guest list, you will see, you know, 53 prior episodes of this format and 150 episodes under the old format with my uh, old co-host, my good friend Dean Guido, and you will find most of the who's who of the fitness industry, from John Berardi to Mike Isertel to Martin Rooney, and all the way up and down the chain. You might find somebody that you really like. Plug in, check out that episode, and maybe I'll earn your continued patronage, and I'll continue to bring great guests uh, to you guys going forward on a near weekly basis. I stop promising every week because life just coaching gets crazy, but I'm trying to do the best I can. Luke, thank you so much. I really appreciate having you here.